Hey guys, welcome back to A Higher Way with Tay. I am your host, Taylor Taylor. Today's episode is really special to me, and I know I say that every week, but this one is no exception. Today's guest is my ex-husband, Billy Taylor. He is the father to our son, Thomas, and he is my best friend. And as you will hear in this episode, we have been through some of the darkest times together, and his story is powerful, it is moving, it is raw, we laughed, we cried. I'm just really, really proud of his vulnerability and his honesty and his message. And it's my heart's prayer that this episode reaches those who may need to hear it, especially this time of year. As I record this, it's a couple days out from Christmas. And as Billy and I say in the episode, we know all too well how difficult this time of year can be if you are struggling with addiction or love somebody who is currently in the throes of addiction. So without further ado, Here's Billy and episode four of A Higher Way with Tay. Hey, Billy. Good morning. Welcome to A Higher Way with Tay podcast. Excited to be here. Well, I'm excited to have you here. You have been kind of helping me a little bit behind the scenes since I was even like thinking about doing this a year or so ago. So I'm super excited because I feel like this one has been an episode we've talked about recording and sort of talked about doing since the very beginning. And now we're sitting here at my kitchen table today and we're actually doing it and I'm excited. I am too. I am, uh, you know, I'm honored to be on here with you because uh, I, I know what, what's what gone into this and it, it's not been easy. I mean, I, I thought, Doing a podcast was very simple. So did it's, I. <laughs> it's not. It's not. I've seen it, and uh, I'm just really excited for the feedback that you've gotten. And uh, you know, I'm proud of you for doing this and speaking your truth. And you know, I come here to uh, be as open and honest as possible in hopes of uh, helping. You know, anybody that is you know on the path that I was on, or, or on the path that I'm currently on, and. Uh, I'm going to try to be an open book. So awesome. um, I appreciate the opportunity. Well, I appreciate your willingness to be open and vulnerable. I think that's like the one expectation, I guess I have of people who come on this podcast is like, we've just got to be real and share our truth and share our story. And I know in the beginning when you and I talked about doing this, I was like, are you sure you want to? Like, do you want to talk about everything? Like, you know, I was a little bit protective of you, I guess, because for me, it's like one thing for me to come on here and spill my guts about all my stuff. But, you know, I know your story. I just, you know, I'm protective a little bit. So. Well, I appreciate that. I I am too. But I also have learned that, um, you know, it's one of the the key things for someone like me is to uh, is to be of service. And, And I feel like if if anything we talk about today can be helpful to somebody else, um, you know, it's, it's my duty to, to provide that for them, even if it's going to be, you know, a little uncomfortable for me, Yeah. you know, but yeah. like I was telling you earlier, I, you know, I made the crucial decision to forgive myself. Mm-hmm. So it, it makes it a little bit easier to talk about, uh, the couple things that I may have done wrong in yeah, our marriage. <laughs> Well, I know, I just know in my heart that there are people out there who are going to really appreciate hearing this message and hearing your story. And I'm, I'm grateful that you're here and willing to share it. So it's interesting because like 
introducing you, I suppose, to the to my audience. It's I don't know about <clears throat> you, but I always kind of hate using the term ex-husband. <laughs> like it sounds so degrading, you know, or I feel like just that term implies that like we really dislike each other or that there's like bad blood. I wish there was a different term for like people who are divorced, but on good terms, you know, like I joke around, like I've even told you before, it's like, you're kind of my life partner. <laughs> We're not married anymore, you know, but it's like truly, like if I had to summarize, I mean, you're my best friend and in so many ways, like you are kind of my life partner. Well, I, I feel the same way, you know, I'm a caddy. So I'm with, I'm with new people on a daily basis and I run across this every time, you know, whether to call you my ex-wife, my Baby current mama. wife, <laughs> Yeah, a BM. Uh, you know, it's it, it is a struggle. You know, universe. So, what do you traveling say? partner? Well, that's true. I mean, yeah. um, it depends. I just kind of read the situation. I, I try to read my my guest, and uh, you know, if we're getting into an honest conversation, I tell them you know our story because again, I think it can help a lot of people out there mm -hmm. because there is that um, that connotation when you say ex-wife or ex-husband mm -hmm. um so i call you my wife sometimes still mm -hmm. you know if it's easier yeah sometimes um, like i don't even want to yeah. have to get into the backstory. right right yeah. so um it, it is I, I wish there was a better term but um this doesn't happen very often so it doesn't I, I mean we like we joke around that we're like a modern day bruce willis and demi moore you know because i feel like there's not a lot of examples out there of people who are trying to do or doing successfully, you know, what we're trying to do, which is create a sustainable, functional, loving family unit. You know, you, me, and our son, Thomas, um, Dorst. And it's funny because like we, the truth is we've come a really long way from like the worst and the darkest place that we've been. So I wanted to mention, you know, on that note that, today is the winter solstice, right? And it's also the beginning of Capricorn season. And so that ties in so perfectly with what we're talking about today, because the winter solstice is the shortest day and the longest night. So it's like the beginning of winter. Um, and the sun stands still at the most southern point of the equator in the Tropic of Capricorn. So Capricorn season is like, let's get down to business. This is the last push of focused determination before Aquarius season in the new year. And then that combined with the spiritual energy of the solstice is a time to celebrate new beginnings and hope and the light. So I feel like it's just perfect to tie that in with kind of like the conversation we're having today. Um, you know, that even on the darkest night, hope comes again in the morning, I think is the message of. Absolutely. Yeah. So, okay. A little bit about your astrology because I have mentioned before like I think it was episode one where I talked a little bit about just the basics of your astrology but you know you're an Aquarius sun you have an Aries moon and you're a Leo rising so does any of that even like resonate with you at all or what do you know about your astrology or feel like is relevant you know I, I don't know a ton about it M mainly the things I know about it are from you or uh podcasts you've suggested for me um so it's really w what i get from you mm -hmm. <laughs> uh and and i have i understand some of the aspects of, of those uh signs and um 
you know, honestly, I'm, I'm still learning about myself. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I've been, um, kind of in this dark area for a long time in my life. And, uh, so I just say in the last couple of years, I'm really getting to explore, you know, who I am as a person. Yeah. Um, and I do see some connections, um, to astrology. Uh, so well, you I'm know, still like, learning. Always, like sending yeah. and texting you stuff like, Oh my God, this is happening on your moon or like, and you're probably like in one ear and out the other, but <laughs> you know, what I think is relevant, um, you know, are worth noting in regards to your chart is so your Aries moon, which if you recall from the last episode with our buddy Carlos, he yes. also has an Aries moon. And I had mentioned, Oh my God, I have so many Aries moons in my life and I love it. So your Aries moon is opposite Jupiter in your natal chart, which makes you very friendly and likable and like an overall kind of like optimistic person. You also have Venus in the seventh house, which, you know, gives you kind of like a very charming personality. Um, but what's interesting to me is your Aries moon. So it's in the ninth house, which makes you like a little bit mysterious and you tend to avoid conflict despite the fact that Aries is like a more aggressive kind of fire sign. So, Aries is like active and fiery, but the moon is cool and passive. So because your sun isn't an air sign, the sign of Aquarius, having an Aries moon gives you like strong powers of expression and makes you quite intellectual. So all that checks out. I did my homework on you <laughs> astrologically before you came over. Um, but also I wanted to note about your nodes. So I have mentioned before in the podcast, I'm obsessed with the North and now North and South node in astrology. The North node represents kind of like what you are working towards in your lifetime and like the ultimate destiny of your soul. And then the South node is like what you came into this life with or the lessons that you've already kind of like learned and mastered. So in your case, you know, your south node, what you came into this life is also in the sign of Aquarius. And then your north node, what you're moving towards and like becoming is in the sign of Leo. Mm. <clears throat> so being having an Aquarius south node can make you, you know, kind of feel like apart or separate sometimes. And then Leo is all about embracing like the strength of the lion. So your nodes really represent the path of like becoming the warrior um, and it's funny cause like versus mine, like my nodes are like, put down your weapon, like embrace mm -hmm. peace, like stop being, you know, and yours is a little bit of the opposite. It's right. like you're really coming into your strength and power. That's like the destiny of your soul astrologically. Also, you know, our son Thomas is a Leo son. So you have that in the same sign. Um, and I just think it's, you're a Leo rising too. So like that Leo predominance in your chart and the energy of that is that's what you're cultivating as you you know, continue down the path of your life. So on that journey of your life towards that whole like symbolism of the lion and the cultivation of the qualities of what Leo represents, it's the experiences and usually like the struggles that shape us and instill those qualities that we're supposed to learn. Like that's the point of these nodes. Like it's unfortunately through the struggle that we cultivate those qualities of becoming the person we're destined to be. So that's the path of the North and South nodes who we're becoming and what we have to leave behind to get sure. there. So I'd like to start, you know, with your journey from like the dark night, you know, the longest night that we were talking about into where you are in your recovery today. 
Sure. Wow. I know. Um, big question. Right. But <laughs> Before we get into that, I know I'm not confrontational, mm-hmm. but I do want to question why I have to go right after the spiritual fucking gangster. <laughs> I know. And like the best podcast episode ever. Was that Listen, on purpose? It was totally on purpose. Everything by grand design has its meaning. So listen, Gosh. it's going to be so well received and you're ready and you're prepared. So. Well, that's a hard act to follow. It is but. a hard act to follow, but you got it. Channel um, that Aries moon. You can do it. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, looking back at, at my life, you know, I can, I can trace back, you know, the first patterns of addiction to being a teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, without getting too deep into it, you know, it's, it's followed me throughout my life. And, and as I've, um, as I've taken on more responsibility, as I've gotten older, um, it became more prominent mm-hmm. as a, uh, as a stress reliever, as something that I would use to, um, quiet the feelings and emotions that I had inside. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was, it was, uh, I live in Charleston. You know, I've lived in Charleston for 20 years. It was very easy to hide uh, what, alcoholism. What's alcoholism, right? Yeah. I was going to say, like, yeah. can you explain a little bit about, you know, what they would call, like, your drug of yeah. choice or what your substance sure. is? You know, um, I, I've been involved in a 12-step program over the years. So, you know, I think I identify um, as an alcoholic in, in certain areas uh, be just out of respect. Um, but I would never I – would, I would always consider myself um, – an addict mm-hmm. because, you know, even, even now, uh, to this day, not using any substances or, or alcohol, uh, I still see, I'm still sick. I mean, I still have these addictive patterns, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I will, you know, the things that are, are going to kill me the fastest, I've, I've, I've been lucky enough to eliminate, eliminate, but, but then I can still see my addictive patterns moving into different things, Yeah, whether it's unhealthy eating, sleep habits, um, you know what? Whatever it, it may be, shopping Thank God for you stuff. Don't gamble, though, you I, that's I mean? like one thing that I've avoided. I yeah. think I'm so terrible at gambling that um, I'm, I'm grateful that that's one of the things I did avoid. You one know, of the few things. Yeah. But, well, thank God for that. You yeah. would have imploded a lot sooner. <clears throat> that's yes, for sure. Yes. When people have asked me in the past, like, you know, about your addiction, I, I think I agree. I sort of say the same where I'm like, you know, I would classify you classify i mean you know i would say you're an alcoholic but i also always say but whatever he can get his hands on really yeah you know and when you're or when you were at your most sick you know it really didn't matter right what the substance you, you was. hear it a lot of times um when when people are asked what their drug, drug of choice is mm-hmm. and and i you know people say well my drug of choice is more yeah <laughs> you know and, yeah. and i really relate to that because yeah. it doesn't matter as long as I can get away from from feeling the feelings that I should feel right. um, and avoiding those type of things. Uh, it, it didn't matter. It, it didn't matter what it was. So you felt like you were, you know, kind of functioning, if that's even a word, despite your addiction for a certain period of time. And then, you know, as your disease progressed, you know, obviously it became... Sure. More challenging. Too. You know, like when we first met. Mm-hmm. So uh, for reference real quick, Billy and I, we were married for almost six years. We've been divorced now for a little bit over three. But we met like, what, 11 years ago, something like that? Yeah, 10 or 11 years yeah. ago. And at that time, um, 
you know, I, I didn't have a lot of responsibilities. You know, I worked uh, in the wine business, mm -hmm. which was the perfect place for me. Um, <laughs> all the free wine that I wanted. Right. Um, but I, I didn't have a lot of responsibilities. So, you know, almost daily I found myself uh, getting done with work earlier than I should and, and being at happy hour. You know? Well, again, going back to living <clears throat> in Charleston, like that lifestyle is not only encouraged, I almost want to say like that's the norm. Right. It's not uncommon at all to, you know, have a work lunch perhaps that involves alcohol or for people to cut out work on Friday at two and go out to Shem Creek and start boozing. Sure. You know, that's kind of how it goes in this town. That was kind of our badge of honor. Yeah. You know, I'm from Charleston. Right. You know, our, our weekend starts on our, our weekend starts on Wednesday. <laughs> yeah. You know that that's that's how we roll down here. Yeah. You know, so uh, I knew that I had a problem, but I also hid behind that. You know, it was funny when I when I went to the bar the next day, and they're like, "Oh, here's your tab from last night." Right. You know, it, and it was it was almost like a not a big deal. And then you know, then we got married, mm -hmm. and um, and had Thomas mm -hmm. and as as our life changed and my responsibility with him grew you know I, I had to be home after work mm -hmm. you know there were certain things I, I wanted to be a good father I, I really wanted to be a good husband and I wanted to take on these responsibilities and and do well at it but you know I was already an addict yeah. you know I was already addicted and it just changed. Instead of going to the bar, you know, I would go to the liquor store mm -hmm. and buy a bottle of vodka mm -hmm. and sneak it in the house. Mm -hmm. And what became a social thing became very quickly became a, a private kind of introverted, isolated thing yeah. where I, you know, I, I think it was, uh, May of 2015, mm -hmm. a couple months after, um, Maybe May of 2016, mm -hmm. a little bit after Thomas was born, uh, where I went to MUSC right. for the first time. Um, MUSC um, outpatient intensive outpatient program through right. their for their you know substance abuse program. Right. Yeah. Um, so Thomas so, was seven months old then. Yeah. Right. So that's when I, I pretty much took my last public drink. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. after that. I admitted that I, I was an alcoholic and I, and I had a problem and my life was unmanageable. That was the first time too for, you know, in all the time that I had known you, but also I think for same with your family and anybody that knew you, it was when you went to MUSC that time that it was like admitting, okay, I have a problem and I want to stop because up till that point, it was never a label that you were willing to choose to describe yourself. And I think, you know, in my case, I was always just like, get your shit together, you know, like, or I would try to micromanage, like if we were going to a wedding or we had somewhere to go, it was like telling you how many drinks you could have, you know what I mean? Oh my God, I would make myself crazy with like, you know, trying to control all that. And I remember at the time, um, short, a little bit before you went to MUSC, we had actually gone to like a couples counselor. I think we tried a couple actually, a couple different ones. And both times they were like, um, I, Billy, I think you might be an alcoholic. And then you were like, that's it. I don't like this counselor. Next. Yeah. <laughs> we were both like that. 
yeah. if I remember correctly, because yeah. I don't think you wanted you wanted me to be an alcoholic. You know, no, I mean, we were kind yeah. of hoping for something other than that. Yeah, I remember um, the first lady we went to gave me a sheet that said, "Okay, well, uh, try this for me," and, and it says this uh, in the big book also. You know, try some controlled drinking. Yeah, you know, here here's a document your drinks. You get seven a week. I'm like seven a week. What the fuck? I remember you yeah. also being like trying to like negotiate with me. You're like, what if I have them all in one day and then I'm sober the rest of the that's week? What, I'm like, that, no. That's where my mind went. Was like, okay, I'm doing them all at once. <laughs> I mean, that, that's the only. I, I drink for effect, you know. Yeah. Like I, I have a uh, I had a good palate being in the wine, but I. That's not what it was about. No. It was always about how much alcohol is in this drink. You know, I, yeah. I drank for effect. So just the, the same way I drink my coffee now, you well, know, like yeah. I, I, or, or whatever. I, I still have those tendencies yeah. um, to binge or to, you know, drink a Red Bull, yeah. which I know is bad for me. Yeah. But but I don't drink it for the flavor. You know, I drink it for the effect. Right. So. Um, so the controlled drinking, we realized pretty quickly, Billy Taylor cannot do. This is not. No, I went to. I went to uh, to the store, you know, and I would look at, at the beer because I think I was, like, banned from drinking liquor at this point. By uh, me. I, yeah. put all, I would make him, like, I still have, I don't know why I saved them, but I have, like, these contracts that I would, like, print out and make you sign swearing right. that you would, you know. Ugh. Which we look at that now and, and it seems ridiculous because of what we know, know about it. We didn't know right. anything we about didn't it. didn't know. And also, I want to say this, too. When you are dealing with someone in your home that you love that's battling addiction and you, you don't really even know much about the disease of addiction to start with, it creates this insanity. And it's not just the alcoholic. It's like I was participating in this insanity with these, all the different ways I would try to control the situation or prevent like this horrible outcome or get you under control. And, and you know, so I think we also like, kept a lot of that secret because you know there is this sense of shame around it and we didn't at the time have people we could go to that were in the community of recovery that we could ask for help so it was kind of just like you and me like in this fucked up way trying to figure out how to do it and right it, it was not good like how many Thanksgivings did we go to where, yeah. we, you know, we weren't even speaking to each other on the ride there? Yeah. You know, but it was, we have to make sure everybody knows that we're okay. Right. You know, and um, it wasn't until I, I did go to the fourth floor of the psychiatric center at MUSC, uh -huh. the famous fourth floor. Yeah. Um, where I, I first started to get some connections in the recovery community. Yes. You know, offhand thinking of Wood. Right. Uh, my counselor there, who just happened to be in recovery. and Shout um, out Wood, I'm gonna tag you in this yeah. podcast. Shout out Wood, <laughs> hope you're doing well. We also, at the same time, so while you were there working on, you know, the very beginning stages of embracing your recovery, I started my own path of recovery in, you know, my own 12-step program for your friends and family members. Sure. So you met Wood and then I met Karen. Shout out Karen, gonna tag you in this podcast, girl. <laughs> and side note, I pray someday, 
either or both Wood or Karen will come on this podcast because they're incredible human beings and both of them so influential in sure. both our individual and collective paths to recovery. But huge, continue. huge people in our yes. lives. Yeah, yes. absolutely. So you, you're on the fourth floor of the psychiatric building. This yeah. is how well things were going for us yeah. at MUSC. With the, you know, sticky socks. <laughs> he, he was joking. He was not, it was outpatient and it was. Um, yeah. So that was the first time I took a deep dive into what addiction is, what it looks like. Um, but I, I didn't get any, I didn't get any relief there. I, I gained some knowledge as to what I was dealing with. And, uh, but that was about it. You know, I, I didn't, you know, they told us to go to, um, meetings, you know, find a, uh, a 12-step program that you're comfortable with and create a community around yourself, be of service, things like that. Um, so I, I did, and I, I met some good friends uh, during that time. I, I think uh, I white-knuckled about a year, maybe a little more than a year. And, and looking back on it, I, I can't even say that it was, you know, recovery. Mm -hmm. You know, it was a year of not going to jail or right. whatever. You know, it was... It was not a uh, not the life that I had envisioned in getting sober. Yeah, you know my 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 world was still very small. Um, so, I, I, at looking back at it, I you know I was destined to fall back into it. Mm -hmm. You know I didn't have a spiritual solution. Um, I had not forgiven myself mm -hmm. for the you know stress that I had brought to my family and, and what you said earlier is it the one thing I do know about addiction is it is 100% a family disease. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it affects everybody. Uh, even if you, you don't take the deep dive into yourself to look at it, 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 it affects everybody. Um, so there's I, also patterns of addiction that can be passed down in families, even if, you know, active, like alcohol, alcoholism or active addiction is not present. So oftentimes in families, and again, I learned this through my own work and, you know, participation in, in my recovery programs, but, you know, there are behaviors too that, that families do around the addict and those behaviors, if not checked or treated, right, get passed down generation to generation. So when you hear people talking about you know, um, alcoholism or addiction running in their family. It's not always just like the, the actual addiction to a substance. It's also the family patterns and behaviors that go around it that are often equally as destructive. Sure. I completely agree. You know, I got hung up on why for a long time, why you were, why I'm an alcoholic, yeah. why, you know, what's the root of this. Mm -hmm. And Ultimately, I just, I came to grips with like, it doesn't really matter, you know, um, I, maybe I was looking to pin it on somebody or, you know, I, I don't really know what I was looking for, but it doesn't matter. You know, it, it, this is, this is what I deal with. And, um, you know, until I took responsibility of that for myself, um, I didn't see a whole lot of progress. Yeah. You know, we, we got got through the next couple of years mm -hmm. uh, after leaving MUSC, which was like a 20-day program, I mm -hmm. think. Um, 
you know, I, I went to some meetings and uh, got a sponsor, uh, tried to work the 12 steps and, uh, you know, things were okay. I, I don't remember extreme happiness at that time. I don't know if you do. I mean, but we're looking at like the first couple of years of Thomas's life. Right. Uh, they were good. You know, I, I was there. We, um, I think we kind of stabilized a little bit, you know, like you said, like you weren't really like at risk for going to jail necessarily. And for the most part, your drinking had, subs- had subsided, but we were still dealing with, you know, um, the challenges of where our marriage was. And then also, you know, anybody who has a small child at home like that, the stress is hard and you're working yeah. and you're dealing with that. And then I had a job I hated. Yeah. I, we built a house. Mm-hmm. We had a young child and I, I couldn't deal with, you know, my solution had always been to numb, numb out. Yeah. You know, so I, I never had a, a solution still, you know, I never, I never took the time to really, uh, work the steps properly. I still had a a huge ego. I still had, um, this feeling like I was in charge Mm -hmm. when I, when I wasn't. Mm -hmm. Um, but I I tried to live on, on that self will, you know, which is, is a struggle for people that deal with this because that's the, that's the feedback you get from society is, is just stop. Right. Oh my gosh. Like just suck it up, but be a man. And, yeah. you know, you've got a family. What are you doing? Yeah. You know, and that, that causes some major issues for, for people like me because it makes you me start sad. to think about it like yeah. that. Yeah. You know, and it makes me sad because I know that there was probably a million times that I said that to you, like just fucking stop. You know what I mean? And then also I think that was, to be honest, like what everybody around us was saying, like the people that maybe we let in on a little bit, was like, why can't he just stop? What's the problem? Like, why can't, you know? <laughs> and addiction doesn't work that way. No, no, it's it, it's a progressive disease. Yeah. You know, it, it's, you're either getting better or you're getting worse. Right. So I wasn't getting better. I was doing the things I needed to do to make it look like I was making the effort. Yeah. I do remember when we were, we had built the house, we were living in it in the, you know, few early months of that house. And I remember there was a period of time, although short lived where I, you know, you were going to your meetings and I was going to my meetings and I felt like we hit a stride for a little bit where a lot of that probably also came from the work I was doing in my own recovery program, which really involved me like minding my own fucking business and working on myself, you know what I mean? And not being so immersed in like micromanaging and controlling of every little thing you were doing. So like, you know, you would come home from your meeting at night and I'd be like, how was your meeting? It was good. Cool. Okay. Like I'm not prying into like how many days sober do you have? Like what chip did you pick up? You know, um, for a, for a short period of time, we did sort of catch a stride where we were both working, you know, on ourselves. Right. I agree with that. I mean, for people listening to this that have a a family member or loved one that is dealing with this or you're in this situation, you you can't get you can't get anybody sober, Mm -hmm. you know, no matter how how much you watch them or Mm -hmm. or, you know. How many breathalyzers you give them? Oh, my God. Uh, How many breathalyzers did you go through? I mean, a lot. Um, 
you know, in a sense, with you doing that work on yourself, you taking a step back, you know, it was really helpful, even though it, it, it gave me the, the room to fuck up again. Mm -hmm. That was needed. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I think too, like in what my understanding, what I was learning at the time in my own recovery was like, look, if I work on myself and I work on some shit that's not working out for me and I try to better myself and I take that like focus off of you for a minute, one of two things is going to happen. One is I'm improving. I'm becoming stronger. I'm becoming a better, more spiritual, more, you know, a better human being. And either you keep up and catch up and we both are on that or you don't, but I'm in a better equipped place to handle if the bottom falls out underneath. I don't think that was ever said to me in my meetings, like, hey, that's the game plan here. But in my experience, that's sort of what I learned is like, okay, it's one of two things is going to happen. So I'm just going to keep working on myself. And that's the best thing you can do. Yeah, I that's agree. the best thing you can do because uh, it's exactly like you just said, you're more equipped to deal with the, the stuff that's coming down the road. Right. And it's coming. So what came down the road? Um, let's see. I know it, a lot of shit happened in a short period of time. I mean, time. it's Sometimes like, I'm thinking like, what was first or was it the day it I was went an implosion? Yeah. It got bad fast. Yeah. Um, there I was, there say, was like a couple weekends, like back to back weddings that I think was pretty much the end of the road for, yeah. For me, I, there was a there was a wedding that you couldn't go to, right? Because um, Karen's brother, yeah. So my Sam, my yeah. best friend, my sister for life, Karen Perry, her brother, her little brother Sam, who was battling his own demons of addiction, um, tragically passed away of an overdose, and I went to his funeral, and I and we had friends getting married that same day. And so it's like, so ironic, but it's like, I'm going to this funeral. You were going to this wedding. You had to go. And I was like, please, for the love of God, like, this is a really hard day for me, for Karen. It's, you know, I don't want to come home. And then you come home from this wedding and you be fucking blackout. Like, please just have some respect, respect. and like, don't do that. Well, well you know, <laughs> it, I love Karen and uh, I love you obviously. And, I had every intention of of being respectful that night. I remember being proud of myself for, for buying like a light beer, mm -hmm. you know, like I'm really going to hold it together mm -hmm. tonight. I'm going to drink a beer. I'm going to drink a water. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, what I've learned about alcoholism is, you know, it's a three-part disease. Right. You know, there's a physical aspect to it. Um. So you were having cravings that yeah, needed so, to be. Well, yeah. So there, the mental part of it, um, there's a mental obsession, mm -hmm. right? And and then the, the, the physical part is the craving. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if alcohol is out of my system, I can get away from the obsession. I can, and I don't have to worry about the craving and generally until I put it in my body. So you pick up but again. once I pick up, all bets are off, mm -hmm. right? So... I stood no chance that night as much as I wanted to. I mean, you know, 
next thing you know, we're doing shots and blah, blah, blah. I, you know, I don't even remember coming home. We, or I do. <laughs> I <laughs> mean, you literally were like carried in the door, yeah. you know, and yeah. I was just like, God damn it, Billy, you yeah. know, for yeah. real. So, yes, I remember that. I remember that being one of the catalysts of kind of like a catastrophe. Yeah. That was to come. And then I think we had a wedding the next weekend, like the Ugh. very next weekend. And it was, it was the, you know, I, I couldn't get to a seven o'clock wedding, <laughs> not blacked out. Right. You know, all day on a Saturday. Yeah. I mean, you leave me all day Saturday during football season or something. You know, I, I was justified drinking early in the morning, whatever, whatever. Um, and after those couple weeks, it, it was clear that that I had a, a major problem. And that, I think that, also like your consumption had increased. Sure. Things were starting to spiral a little bit at work. Yes. We were fighting yes. bad. Um, and it was like creating the perfect storm, you know, for like the apocalypse. Right. Um, I don't even remember what, what happened because I know this now, this part of the story leads up to me going to any length. Well, what happened um, before you went to any length, I think, you know, like the, the culmination of, you know, everything just spiraling out of control. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it, it was such a blur for me. Mm -hmm. um, maybe that's a good thing. I, I don't know what the timeline was. I, I know that there were some things that were just unacceptable behavior mm -hmm. um it's it's tough to talk about it's embarrassing mm -hmm. um but ultimately how did that happen i, I mean th there was a point where we had to make a decision you know we had this new house we have a, a young child is there really no other option than to for me to go to a long-term recovery community yeah you know to me, there wasn't at that time. Right. To me, it was like that's, and I feel like I gave you the ultimatum of that. You know, this right. is this isn't optional. This is what has to happen. Right. So that I, that would be the the next part of the journey in my mind, mm -hmm. because every day was, you know, there were there were times that were worse than other times, but every day I was uh, living a lie. Mm -hmm. um, it was not healthy for mm -hmm. you or me or, or Thomas. So. That was a key part of my journey was going to a long-term recovery mm -hmm. place. And you brought me there. Mm -hmm. And when we got there, it was like, what the fuck have I gotten myself into? Well, I remember I like walked in with you and they like kind of checked you in. And then very quickly they were like telling me like, okay, you, you need to leave now. And this place was like, three or four hours from here. So I was like gonna get ready to get on the road and we weren't given really the chance to like say goodbye or anything. And I was like, um, and I walked out to my car and one of the workers came out and was like, you okay to drive? And I was like, yeah, I was like crying and stuff. And he was like, listen, do me a favor, you know, do him a favor. Don't come back and get him in like seven months when he's asking you to come back and get him. And I remember being like, what? Se seven months? Like, yeah, I they told us like three to yeah. four, and they're like, sorry, then it's going to be a year, yeah, motherfucker. Once you were checked in, it was like totally different. But I, 
Give me I your mean, phone. <laughs> yeah. So then that was it. And then we were given like, I want to say two weeks, I think, absolutely no contact. And I want to say that was over, was it through Christmas? No, it was right before Thanksgiving because I, I got a little bit of a break. I caught a break because I, I went in at the very beginning of November mm -hmm. and there's usually a, a process there of, you know, reading the big book and, and earning your phone privileges yeah. by, by the actions that you put forth in your recovery. And it just so happened that Thanksgiving came like two weeks after I got there where all families were invited. It didn't matter if you were uh, a new resident or not. Um, so I got to see you two on Thanksgiving. That's right. We drove up for Thanksgiving sure, yeah. and then we drove up also for Christmas. Right. Yeah. But um, that was a huge turning point for me because I was around people that had had my disease. Mm -hmm. You know, I had roommates. I had daily meetings. They made us get a job. And, and by made us get a job, they got a, They put us in a van and they drove us into the kind of downtown part of um, Sumter and they dropped us off and they said, go get a job. Not a career, <laughs> a fucking job. Mm -hmm. I remember Dennis saying, You'll know you have a job when there's grease popping on your hands while you're flipping those burgers. Mm -hmm. That's a job. Mm -hmm. That's the job you need to get so you can shut up, do your work, come back here and focus on what you need to focus on. Mm -hmm. So that was crazy, you know, like walking around mm -hmm. going, what? Do, and, and I did have a, a background in food and beverage. So uh, I got on at a restaurant and worked there with uh with a lot of other um, addicts and alcoholics um but things got better quick and things were stressful for you mm -hmm. at home mm -hmm. with the loss of income you know and, and the being a single mom basically and it, it was kind of a perfect storm of hey i think i'm good now mm -hmm. and i think we were both kind of wanting me to get back yeah and it was premature just like th they knew yeah they knew when i when i told them i was going to leave i, I it remember it was after how long it was them? after uh four months four, yeah four yeah. four and a half months um they brought me in the office uh, i was in there with two of the counselors and I, I say counselors they were in recovery, they had gone through the same program that we were, I mean, they were involved, they were given back. Uh, they knew me better than I knew myself. And I remember sitting in the office there with uh, three of my closest friends there and two of the counselors and the, the counselors were just giving me the business. Yeah. What are you fucking doing? Why are you, you haven't done shit. You know, you're going to go ruin your son's life. Like you're going to go back in there. They've had finally had four months of peace. And now you're going to go back in there and just like a hurricane. Mm -hmm. And my friends are crying. I'm crying. But uh, I truly believed that I, I had it under control. Mm -hmm. And and I was sadly mistaken. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, I, I heard this funny thing the other day. Or I read it. And... I don't know if it's just some Facebook bullshit or if it was a real story or whatever, but it, it resonated because it was a uh, a brother and a younger brother, and, and he had a uh, glow stick. 
but he was just playing with it. And his older brother took it away from him. And the mom's like, hey, give that back to him, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and the older brother broke it. And it, it lit up. So the moral of that story was like, sometimes you have to be broken, mm -hmm. you know? And I love that. I mean, it reminds me of one of my favorite quotes. You know, I think it's Rumi, but, you know, the, the wound is where the light enters. You right, know? right. It was, it was an interesting take on that. You know, sometimes you have to be broken to, you know, see that light. Yeah. And I wasn't quite broken enough, I guess. Mm. <laughs> so. Well, there's the whole spiritual concept, you know, of like the dark night of the soul and that, you know, we always want it to be like a quick night of suffering and then the sun comes out and we are healed and we've, you know, but the, the reality is for a lot of people, I think, especially in addiction, it's that long, slow, agonizing despair. You know, that's the dark night of the soul. Yeah. And that's a, as a person who's, you know, an alcoholic at the basis, you know, um, it's tough for alcoholics because it is a long, slow process. Mm -hmm. um, unlike some of the other friends and family that I have that have other drugs of choice where mm -hmm. it, it's not always that slow. Yeah. It can be just one night. Right. And uh, it, it was a struggle. I, I mean, I almost immediately started drinking again when I got home and it was only a few months. It was one, It was five weeks. Five weeks. Yeah. From when you came home to when I filed for divorce. Yeah. Because it was, you're going to hate me for saying this. Oh, God. Because it was, uh, it was the Sunday that Tiger won the Masters. Yeah. Unfortunately, that doesn't I know. I know. You're like, who cares? I just, weekend. I mean, I'm sorry. It, it just <laughs> does for me because I was like, excited you know coming back from work i'm like holy shit yeah you're not gonna believe what happened and you're you're like you're not gonna believe what i found yeah and uh you know, so it was in april yep and that was tough yeah that that started my darkest night well you came home and i said get out right right um which is basically what has to happen mm -hmm. in looking back I, I was furious at the time. I was looking for somebody to blame. Uh, I said a lot of hateful things. You know, it was like my free pass to go get annihilated. Well, you also, it wasn't like you were admitting, you know? And I think that was for me, like, one of the most frustrating things, too, is it wasn't like you'd be like, okay, well, yes, you know? Right. You'd be like, you're crazy. Yeah. You're, I'm, what? No. Yeah. And I mean, it would make me crazy. Like gaslighting 101. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. Yeah. So it was like the beginning of April and you know, I'm things happened really fast. Like, um, I found out that you were drinking. I got an attorney, I filed for divorce. And then there was a for sale sign in, you know, posted out in front of our beautiful brand new home. I think within a couple of weeks of that. Sure. And then you were just completely like off the rails. Yeah. Yeah. That was the start of my darkest night mm -hmm. for sure. Because I was working downtown at the time at a, a breakfast and lunch spot. So I was, you know, it was a job where I had to be there at like 6 a.m. Mm -hmm. So I was really struggling with getting to work, mm -hmm. you know, so, um, and I didn't have anywhere to live, mm -hmm. right? My sister and brother-in-law 
Kim and Kenny, I, I love you guys. They were they were amazing during that time. I think they were respectful to your decision. They were as helpful as as they knew how to be for me. Um, you know, but I, I stayed with them for a few days. But I would clearly come in intoxicated. Yeah, yeah. For lack of a better term, right? Blacked out, <laughs> yeah. wasted, uh-huh. and. You know, I could, I could sense like, you know, Kimberly at the time had, you know, had just like torn her ACL skiing. So here, it's here, like the last here Kenny thing was, she needed was dealing her with brother. Yeah. Living he had both of him. us on the couch, you know, me going through withdrawals, yeah. you know, throwing up, shaking, just uh, a shell of myself. And then she couldn't walk. Yeah. <laughs> it was, uh, God bless you, Kenny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I owe him a lot during that time. But I knew that it wasn't a good situation for them. So I said, I'm going to go find somewhere to live. So I ended up renting a room at some random girl's house in off of, you know, like 40 minutes away from downtown. Yeah. So I was setting myself up for failure with my job. You know, so I was broke, was getting to work, you know, one every three shifts lying to them about my issue. Like I have back issues or whatever it was, you know, I'd make something up. I was very good at that. And, uh, I just couldn't hold it together. I mean, things got so bad so fast. Um, I think she kicked me out Mm -hmm. or I just couldn't pay. Mm -hmm. Um, but I I ended up going down this really dark road. It was really dark. Um, and then during that time, my mom flew out from California and helped me pack up the house and we like put, you know, all your stuff in boxes in the garage. And, um, I think your parents came to get, you know, what like little you had. And, and then Thomas and I rented an apartment and moved into this apartment together and you were, you know, for days at a time, like we didn't know where you were or, you know, he at the time wasn't aware necessarily of that, but it was like, yeah, that was by design. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank God. <laughs> um, I didn't want anybody to know I was in complete isolation, mm-hmm. you know, sleazy motel. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, I'd say my darkest night was being at a, like a, at a motel and, and, you know, I had told people down there, like the front desk person, like, do not tell anybody what room I'm in. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want anybody to know I'm here. Mm-hmm. So if somebody calls, you know, whatever it is. Um, I got a, a couple times, like, I don't even, it was probably four or five days or three days. I can't remember how, how long it was because everything ran together. Um, but there were a couple times that the police came and, and did a wellness check just to mm-hmm. make sure I was still alive in there. Mm-hmm. And uh, eventually I like wandered out to my car and Kenny was out there <laughs> just like waiting because mm-hmm. he didn't know what room I was in. But I, he had kind of figured out where I was, um, which is hilarious because they filmed part of Outer Banks at this hotel. Well, I refer to it <laughs> as the no-tell motel because like that's how fucking sleazy. Yeah. Gross. This but I saw it on Outer Banks. I was like, holy shit, that's my, uh, that's my hiding spot. Yeah. It's a hiding spot for a lot. Of <laughs> yes. People. Yes. Um, but he was like, what are you doing, man? And 
I don't remember what he told me. I said, work stuff. (laughs) And he said, well, you know, why don't you just get in the car? You know, we we don't have to, you don't have to stay here anymore. And I did. And I I don't know. Ultimately, I did the geographic change. Mm -hmm. You know, I I had kind of hit a bottom there. In Charleston. In Charleston. I didn't think it was possible for me to live in Charleston. You know, again, I was looking for something to blame on, the, you know, Charleston's just too much partying going. I can't live there. Right. Um, so I went back to Sumter and begged for my old job back there, which I, I got back. And I moved into a friend's house. Both both guys there were sober um, that I live with. Most of the people I worked with were sober. So with me drinking, it didn't take very long. I mean, I was a, a, around people that knew right. all the signs. They were calling you on your shit. Yeah, they, and they knew what to do with, with an addict right. or an alcoholic. And it, it's not, it's just don't put up with their shit. Yeah. It, it really is. And it's tough love. So, um, got ultimately got to a point where I got fired from a job that's like impossible to get fired from. Right. Like, but you managed you to could do literally, it. like, smoke crack in the bathroom and right. they at our you know meeting it's like whoever smoked crack needs to stop you know please and thank you thank you so you couldn't you really couldn't get fired and and ultimately i had uh i was going through withdrawals i was uh drinking just the worst shit i'd ever drank before like mouthwash mm-hmm. and uh and I told them that I had COVID. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they were like, well, that means you can't come into work and both your roommates can't come into work. Yeah. Be- you know, and, and, like- and then they're like, finally, like, dude, you're fucking us up now. Right. Like, you, you need to go. And, I, and so I admitted, hey, I've relapsed. And they said, we just, you know, they knew how to handle it. Yeah. They said, we're, you know, out of, it's going to be a hard decision, but you know, you need to go get help. We're not going to enable you anymore. So uh, I tried to get a couple jobs after that. Nothing really panned out. And I was given the final, you know, eviction notice basically saying people that live here are sober. You're not sober. You can't live here. Mm -hmm. So for the first time in my life, I really decided, you know what, I really need to get help for myself because I had nothing. I literally, I mean, I had nothing. I lived in a bedroom with like a 20 inch TV and I didn't go much out of there. You know, had no money for gas. I'd walk to the Dollar General and walk back. Uh, I, I painted the house for rent because I didn't have any money. And, uh, you know, I, I had just kind of hit that bottom and I went to, uh, made a couple phone calls and got in touch with some people, uh, at a place called Owl's Nest and things fell into place. You know, they, they had a spot for me. Um, the person doing my intake on the phone connected with me. Divine design. 
Yeah, so um, I, I decided to go get help for myself. You know, I had, I had already lost my family and house and jobs, and, and there was nothing to try to salvage. It was just kind of down to that. Am I going to die or am I going to keep fighting? Mm -hmm. So my friend Cheryl drove me to uh, the nest, as I call it now. And that was in September of 2020. Mm -hmm. So five years into my attempts of getting sober journey. Yeah. My path to getting sober. Right. Um, and I get emotional talking about that place. Yeah, I know. It saved your life. It did. Um, you know, I, there were people there that were really trying to get sober. Yeah. I mean, it was like, you either go there and you, and you put forth the effort or you, you're pushed out pretty quick because yeah. that's what people were doing there. Um, there were meetings all day, but there were extra meetings at night, you know, that the residents chose to have mm -hmm. candlelight meetings, mm -hmm. you know, like I finally got vulnerable with, with other men that were struggling with the same things I was struggling with. And I finally opened up, finally worked the steps, mm -hmm. um, felt that change, felt that, that shift you know, um, it got some relief, you know, the, the obsession was gone. Uh, the, the cravings weren't there. Um, I was waiting tables again and this was not a restaurant that was, employed all, you know, sober people. This was a fucking shit show. Mm -hmm. And, and I was, I was comfortable there and I felt like I, you know, provided, some stability for them. You know, there were some people there that I, I feel like that knew because they knew where I was, they reached out to me, you know, maybe, maybe gave them some ideas of what to do when they were ready. Yeah. Um, but, but that place was a game changer for me. I, I took some guys through the steps. I, I um, made the decision to stay on after the, after I commenced. Right. Which is, Thomas you know, and I also came to visit was, did we do another Christmas there? We did. Yeah. Yeah. I, I always was in rehab during the I know, we had a lot, But you know, it, it's funny because we have had some rehab Christmases. Yes, for we sure. have. And but Thanksgiving. You, and Thanksgiving. And but birthdays. They, and birthdays. We've done them all. Okay. <laughs> but, but honestly, those were a million times better than the ones where, you know, we were, pretending like nothing was wrong. Yeah, it was so raw and like Yeah. And and people were so happy to see their families yeah. and and uh there was no keeping up with the Joneses there. It's like we're all in fucking rehab. Yeah. You know? Let's embrace it. It was very basic and simple. Yeah. You know, it, it was not about the presence or the you know, it was just about being with family and 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 having a community that you could trust and and 
that were fighting the same fight you were fighting. Absolutely. So, yeah, so I decided after that to stay on there, and I worked in the kitchen um, making breakfast for all the residents for about three months and made the transition through, you know, meditation or just talking to people. And, and uh, you know, it just came to my attention that, man, there's a job out there that I think I would really love. And, and it was caddying. Mm-hmm. You know, I have to say, I feel like, again, like divine timing and divine intervention for that because where you work is one of the most beautiful places on earth. And just being out in nature every day as your office and doing something that you love golf but being in that setting of like that beautiful part of nature has been profoundly healing for you like that's a yeah. key part i think of what 100 percent. yeah and we were talking earlier about like my pillars now yeah and well because in the you know previous episode carlos had mentioned about like we have you know the pillars that support us on our sure. spiritual walk and like i know i have my own but that's a great segue into i'd love yeah. to hear like the pillars on your path today? You know, the things that I've, first of all, I mean, none of like having this job, you know, I've been employed there now for almost two years, Mm -hmm. um, which is twice as long as I think (laughs) I've ever been able to hold a job for since 2015. Yeah. You know, um, there's no question that being of service you know, none of like I was going to say, none of this is possible without working the steps and and having a that spiritual awakening. You know, it doesn't have to be religious. You know, power of the universe, God, Jesus, something greater Buddha, than you. Yeah, yeah, something bigger than me. Um, because I, I can't run my own life. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it won't be successful. Mm-hmm. So I've looked at, uh, you know, one of my pillars being of service and, and getting out of my own head. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it stops me from thinking I'm in charge. And that's, that's one of the huge things for me is, is being of service to others. Mm-hmm. You know, I try to make a daily, you know, like living amends to you and Thomas and my parents, you know, all my family um, and friends. Uh, we kind of joke around about that sometimes, like when you take my recycling out, and I'm yeah. like, "Thank you," and you're like, "Living amends." <laughs> yeah. yeah. Obviously, it goes bigger than, yeah. than that, but we do joke about that a little. Yeah. Bit. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm probably will have to take out your recycling for, for the, rest the rest of, of your, your life, life. <laughs> yeah, and a couple more lives. Um, but yeah, I mean, my job is I'm not a I'm not a doctor or a fireman or, or in the military. Like, I'm not really helping people. But while they're with me, I, I'm, I'm helping them very basically navigate one of the hardest courses in the world, mm-hmm. right? So it allows me four to five hours of being completely out of my head mm-hmm. and being fully focused on them while getting to tell stories about a golf course that I love, a city that I love. Um, I get to see the ocean every day. Mm-hmm. Um, I love animals. Mm-hmm. You know, there are days where I will see, you know, snakes, alligators, bobcats, deer, bobcats, bald eagles, yeah, dolphins, yeah, all that shit office. in the same day. Yeah, 
and it doesn't get old. And I, and I've, I truly love going to work. Yeah. Um, there are times, you know, like the next couple of days that are going to suck cause it's cold, mm-hmm. you know, but, but it, it is what it is. Those, those things are, uh, I've been a lot worse places than that, yeah. you know? So my perspective on, on things is a little bit different, but that's one of my pillars. And, you know, spiritually I'm all over the place. I, I mean, I, I like to draw from a bunch of different things, um, which is a whole, you know, know. another episode. Episode, I, I think. But you know, I'm I'm on a path of, of confronting my issues, trying to and, and trying to move forward. Yeah. Um, I'm not hiding from them anymore. Um, so there's different ways to do that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm, I'm also in a place where I see guys struggle with my disease. Mm-hmm. Um, I work with, with a couple people that um, are in that same situation that are currently on the same path that I am. I work with people that are in the same situation that have been on my path that aren't currently on it. Um, so I, I also am very lucky that I get to talk about these things. I'm very open about my situation. Yeah. You know, I, a lot, a lot of times find myself like breaking ice with people by saying like some of the ridiculous shit that yeah. I've done, Yeah. you know? And they're like, are you kidding me? I know. I, I couldn't imagine you doing that. Well, and I'm like, well, you and I, like we crack jokes about, and I'm sure like from the outside, it might be like shocking to people yeah. that we are making light of it. But yeah. also I feel like we've earned the right to make light of it because we've put the work in. Yeah. We definitely are not sweeping shit under the rug anymore. Yeah. Like we do, everything is out in the open. And even with how we, raise Thomas with an age appropriate understanding of, you know, a disease that you were born with mm-hmm. and you know what that means. Like, I feel like we've done a really good job about like, there's no secrets and we mm-hmm. put everything on the table, obviously in a very age appropriate way. Yeah. But, you know, I wanted to ask you because it ties in a little bit with like you being open with people at work, but we were talking about this time of year being so hard for families or people that are dealing with, somebody they love in addiction who like hasn't yet chosen recovery. Um, and I just would be curious if you have anything to share for people out there who are white knuckling through Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's with somebody who's, you know, unmanageable and what can you say to them to give them some hope or some insight? Cause I know I sure wish I had that during, you know, my time. Right. I would uh, basically say the things that that Karen said Mm -hmm. to you. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we try to help addicts so much, but what we're doing is we're enabling them. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there has to be hard boundaries. I remember um, her saying, basically, you know, this is my island. Do you remember that? This is my island and you're welcome on my island if you follow the rules of of my island. Right. But if you can't, then you you can't be here. Right. Um, And that's very, very hard. Very hard. Very hard, especially during the holidays because you just want to love your person. Right. Um, But that's not going to put them in a position to hit that bottom. Yeah. You know, when I was... Um, in Sumter, after we got divorced, uh, 
my, my sponsor. I, there was a probably a five week period where, you know, every Sunday it was like part of my routine. I'd go pick up a white chip, mm-hmm. you know, to the point where they're like, Hey, can you bring some of these back? Yeah. So we don't have to buy anymore. So like, many. yeah. Can you get, yeah, sure. You've got like a stack at the house. Can mm-hmm. you, you know, and, and it was, uh, that you don't know how tough that is, mm-hmm. um, to be around all your friends and they're like, you know, mm-hmm. does anybody need a white chip, mm-hmm. Billy? <laughs> you know, and and it was uh, embarrassing. It was, uh, but it was something I needed. And, and my sponsor would just smile and laugh. And and it was this perspective that I'd never seen before. He's like, Dude, this is what we do. Yeah. Why would I expect you to do it? This is your solution. Right. Until you get a different solution, this is what you're going to do. Being honest about where you yeah, are. This yeah. is where you are. You know, it's dangerous. It's dangerous to be out there, but. He'd be, he'd say, keep drinking, dude. I'm not going to stop you. Mm-hmm. You know, we want this to get really bad. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, we're running the risk of you dying yep. or going to jail. And that was the hard uh, thing for me to but, learn in my, my program too, was like, get out of your way so that, you know, I'm not hindering or, yeah. you know. Let's get to this rock bottom yeah, faster than, than like that, putting it off. that's tough to do as well, but. I, I want to just mention too, on the note of like people struggling this time of year, like, um, you know, there are plenty of meetings around Charleston, um, for 12 step programs for people who are either like in Billy's case, you know, um, identify as an addict or an alcoholic. And then there's also the 12 step recovery programs for people who have a loved one who is struggling with addiction. And we've both spent many, many hours and nights and days and, you know, uh, in those rooms. And I can say with full honesty today, I wish I had gone sooner. Um, you don't have to say anything. You don't have to even, you know, just go and listen. And, you know, maybe on a good day, you get a phone number from somebody so that when you are dealing with something, you know, that you just want to send out a text and be like, I don't know what to fucking do. There's someone on the other end that at least gets it and there's no judgment. And I think that goes both ways, yeah, right? In your case and my case. It's so important. Yeah. It's so important. Um, the comfort level that you have with with people that are going through the same thing that you are. Yep. Um, that that was the beginning of of me forgiving myself. Yep. You know, because that's a that's a huge key is to take a look at at, you know. Who, who, you know, it's just to clear, clear your wreckage, yeah. as they say, is, is you have to face what you've done. You have to accept it. You don't have to apologize for it, but you have to let these people know that you recognize, you know, where you were wrong, where you hurt them. And that, you know, moving forward, uh, these were going to be things that were going to be different. Yeah. Um, you know, they say you don't have to regret the past. Or shut the door on it, mm-hmm. you know? So I, I don't regret my past. I mean, things happen the way they're supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. And and that's something that's another pillar of mine is, is basically the serenity prayer, mm-hmm. you know? There are certain things that are out of my control. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's on me to recognize that and to push those things to the side. Mm-hmm. You know, that's out of my control. Mm-hmm. It does mean no good to worry about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also need to understand that there are things that I, I can change. Mm-hmm. There, there are things that I can do. How I react to a situation um, is something that I control. If I lose my temper, that's on me, mm-hmm. you know? Um, 
So, so being able to recognize, like being able to be mindful of, of those type of things, um, is, is huge. And you just have, there has to be some honesty there. Okay. You have to get honest with yourself first yeah. and being around people that have done that yeah. or that are trying to do that with you is huge Yeah, because, um, my disease likes me to be by myself. Right. It, it doesn't like, like me to be surrounded by people that love me and care about me and that, you know, are willing to listen to, to me. Yeah. You know, that that's not what it's looking for. Well, I think that for both of us, since the period of time after the owl's nest, you know, and you really getting sober and coming home and then both of us kind of walking these parallel paths of self-improvement and spirituality, like has been really beautiful for, you know, our family. And then also just like sharing that with each other. Like there are some similarities and some differences to our spiritual paths, but ultimately I think the fundamentals of it are the same. I would love, you know, someday to have you come on and we could do like a whole episode just on like how we co-parent, you know, in our unique situation of, you know, and it's kind of funny too, because it's like, I think about like what society maybe says about how you're supposed to be when you're divorced. And like, I'm proud of how we're sort of blazing a new trail of like, well, what about trying to do it this way, you know? And I think that it works because both of us have the tools and are consistently working on the tools to stay on our own lanes and stay focused on our own stuff, but also like have compassion and love for each other. Mm-hmm. So that journey has been really awesome. And, and it's only benefited our family. It's only benefited years of my relationship. Sure. And I'm just super proud of us. Yeah. It's uh it's been quite a journey and we're doing a great job. I think we're doing it. You know, I, I have to, uh, <laughs> I have to say, you know, like th- those kind of things, like that kind of, uh, my, my spiritual journey over the past year or so, um, which you know more about it, mm-hmm. it I, I'm loving myself more. Yeah. Like that's huge. Yeah. Um, my inner child, you know, I've been told to look at that. Yep. You know, how are you going to take care of this child over here when you can't take care of the child inside of you? Right. So that's what I try to think about. It's funny, you know, like this morning when Thomas said, uh, what did he say to me? He said, you're just ruining everything. Mm-hmm. This is that what you said? Seven-year-old going yeah. on seventeen. Dramatics. I, I'm trying to teach him to be respectful to to you, and he, you know, I said I didn't do anything. You're 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 the one that's doing this, and and I remember saying those things to my dad. Yeah. And uh, I didn't even feel sad about it today. It was funny. I was like. I must be doing something right. Yep. He hates me right now. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. <laughs> he is so fucking pissed at me. I know. Um, but that's, th- those are the beautiful things now. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, you know, we're having, is this our second or third, second Christmas, you know, that we willingly choose? Well, first of all, you're not drunk, you're not in rehab, and we're spending it as a family, and sure. it's awesome. Yeah. And we, choose it yeah we had thanksgiving together we had this thanksgiving year. together we uh, go on vacations yeah you know so. that was my first uh family thanksgiving in five years yeah that was our first you know together it was yeah. the first thanksgiving with extended family since we had been married and since you had gotten sober and it was awesome we had it a, was fantastic we had a great one, yeah so 
Okay, well, I want to say this. I normally do the rapid fires. You know, well, not, I say normally, I did them like once, but I, I'm just going to completely skip them today because I don't want to take anything away from like just the beauty and rawness and, and the meaning of the story that you shared today. Yeah. So I just want to close out, I guess, by again, thanking you for your honesty and for you coming on. And also you guys, Billy, so much behind the scenes, like supports this podcast. I mean, you I, have no idea. You really yes. have no idea. He's like my mental and emotional support for it. Like, you know, tech stuff. He's definitely super hands-on. So maybe someday when I make it big, like maybe he'll get on the payroll, but for right now it's living amends. So <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it is, it yeah. is. I want to be as helpful as possible. And that puts me in an awkward position sometimes of being yeah. honest or, um, you know, but I think it, it, it gives us room to grow because if, if we're just on, you know, growth comes from pain sometimes yeah. growth comes from struggle and disagreement sometimes. Yeah. And it's, it's, uh, you know, having the tools to work through it and, and be being respectful to each other. Um, and I think it makes relationships stronger I agree. when you can disagree on something or um, whatever it is and and talk through it um, or just not answer the phone. Yeah, when, which he does a lot. He ignores my texts all the time. But he did that when we were married. It's just like normal. If you look at my phone, there's like 10,000 blue texts from me in a row. And then once in a while, there's like a one line response that I get. Maybe an emoji. And yeah. So, okay. Well, hopefully. Oh, I do want to say this real quick. If somebody out there wants to reach out, whether they have a question about recovery or they just want some support or they just want to tell you what a freaking amazing job you did sharing your story today, where can people find you? Well, you know as good as anybody else that I've positioned myself with my career to where I don't have to look at emails. Yes. <laughs> Lucky you. I know. I mean, I do now during school because of Thomas's right. teacher and stuff. Um, you know... Well, Instagram, right? Instagram, they can send you a DM. Yeah, or, or just get in touch with Tay. Right. You know? I'll if, link you. Yeah, because um, that is that is crucial to my recovery. And what I've learned is is don't be scared to ask for help because the person that's helping you, you're helping them more than they're helping you. Yeah. Because Definitely. because they're they're recognizing their issues. The the thing I, I can't ever forget is that I'm an addict or an alcoholic. You right. know, that that that'll never change. Yep. And if I think that I'm not, or I think that I've got it under control, I'm screwed. Yep. So being able to talk to people about it, um, being able to help put people in the right situations to start their path, um, is something that I love to do and yeah. nothing too big or small, you know, like I, I want to be here to help others. So, well, all right, you guys, you heard it. He's available to help or even just have a chat or talk or whatever. And honestly, so am I. I mean, both of us feel that way so much about we've been there that long, dark night, you know? Yeah. And so here we are in closing now. You know, it is the winter solstice today, but tomorrow, you know, we have the, the sun, we have the daylight, we have the light again. So it's just a very fitting, very fitting comparison, I think. And, and I'm just very grateful. And again, I thank you for being here and sharing your story. And we'll do it again. Yeah, I mean, if if uh, if people find this interesting at all, I, I mean, have a I'm still pissed that I'm after after Carlos, Carlos. I know. Well, somebody had to be, so yeah, <laughs> I'll take one for the team. Yeah, awesome. Well, thank you, Billy. Yeah, thank you.